Exactly two months after the Israelites left, e left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob and announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Now You now know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure amongst all the peoples on earth. For all the... All the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answers back to the Lord. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and they, when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling in fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. You may be seated. Thank you, Emily. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? It's good to see you. Always love a packed house in church. Thank you for being here today. My name's Jason. I'm the pastor. I haven't had a chance to meet you. Always so many new faces, and I'm always like standing in the back, like trying to figure out, you know. So if I had a chance to meet you, I'd love to, to do that, but... We're taking the fall to study through the Old Testament book of Exodus. That's what we've been doing. This is our sixth week. We got one more next week. Hope you can be here for that. Um, but we've just been studying this Old Testament book, famous stories about Moses and the Red Sea and the plagues and the Egyptians and all of those things. And I've mentioned to you several times, but it's worth saying again that whenever we read an Old Testament book, any Old Testament book, but especially a book like Exodus, we read it literally and historically, because we want to have a great understanding of what's happened. But we also read it personally because it means something for us too. And as Emily was reading the scriptures today, I couldn't help but wonder what was going through your mind uh, as you read a story in this book about, you know, God and this mountain and shaking and thunder and smoke and what in the world could that have to do with you and me? It's like, I got a job tomorrow, Jason. You know, my kids, I got to parent my kids today and Thanksgiving's coming up. And like, what, what could a story about a mountain shaking have to do with, with my life? And uh, what I want to do today is I want to try to explain that to you because I believe when we understand it, it really is, this is no preacher hyperbole, it really is like one of the coolest parts of the, of the story of Exodus and the Bible. And so to do that, I want to just backtrack for a moment so that we can remember how we got here. I know lots of you, you're joining us today. Maybe this is your first time, and, and so you're not familiar with the story. So just for a moment, I want to backtrack how we got to where we are today, that, that God's people, the Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. 
But God had made a promise to a man named Abraham back in Genesis that he would be uh, their God, Abraham's family, his family tree, that he would be their God. And so God sends Moses and he sends 10 plagues on the Egyptians and God brings his people out. This is what Exodus means, an exit or a way out. So God brings his people out, but the Egyptians end up chasing them. And so God parts the Red Sea, he brings his people through, and then he destroys the Egyptian army. And so now God's people are out in the desert and he's trying to teach them how to live like free people because they've never been free. So now they are objectively free, legally they are free, but internally, mentally, emotionally, they're not free. And so God's trying to teach them how to live like free people. But like I said, this is not just their story, it's our story too. Because if you're a Christian, you were once held captive as a slave to sin. But God sent you a deliverer. It wasn't Moses, it was Jesus. And he brought you out and he crossed you over into a new life. And now God wants to teach you how to live in freedom too because you are objectively free and legally free, but mentally and emotionally you are not. And so God is trying to teach you how to live free as well. But here's a really important question. I mean, as we take, you know, six weeks and get into this, a really important question that's worth asking is why would God do all of this? He could have done it quicker uh, in different ways. Why would God spend all of this time and all of this effort and all of this energy to, to bring his, his people out and to get them out into the wilderness and to give Moses, you know, stone tablets and and all of these things, why a mountain shaking? Like, why would God do all of these things? And the answer is because God wanted a relationship with them. God wanted a relationship. That's why he's doing all of this, is to have a relationship with his people. He wanted to be their God, and he wanted them to be his people. And the same is true for you and me. God wants a relationship with you. Let me say it again. God wants a relationship with you. But there's a problem. There's a problem in their story, and there's a problem in our story. And in their story, God could not have the kind of relationship that he wants to have with them because he is holy, and they are sinful and unclean. And we didn't get to read it today. It's too much to read. But in verse 21, uh, God describes, or Mo God and Moses describe the problem. And I want to just read it to you. In Exodus 19, 21, it'll be on the screen, but this is what it says. It says, then the Lord told Moses, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so the Lord does not break out and destroy them. Verse 23, but Lord, Moses protested, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. You already warned us. You told me, mark off a boundary all around the, all around the mountain and set it apart as holy. Now, what does that mean? Why would there be a boundary and why would this mountain be, be holy? Well, throughout the book of Exodus, we see God put his presence in things, in objects, things like a cloud during the day or a fire in the night or later on in the story, a golden box that his presence would be filled. Indiana Jones would look for it later, but it was not a cup. It was a box and his presence would be, would be in that box. And in this story, he puts his presence on a mountain, on a mountain. Because God can't come down like he did with Adam and Eve and just walk among them and have the relationship he wants to have because of sin. 
that God is holy. He cannot tolerate sin. He doesn't just let sin go. Every sin has to be punished and has to be made right. And so instead of God being able to come down and just walk among the people, he puts his presence in, in things. And so when I say to you like that God puts his presence in things like a, a cloud in the sky or fire you know, at night or a box or a mountain, there's this part of us that's like, well, that's, like, that's kind of cool. But they didn't think it was cool at all. It was terrifying that God, the God, would move into these objects, that he would consume these objects. And we got a little glimpse of what happened when God consumed something. They, Emily read it to us that the mountain shakes and fire and thunder and, and, all, and all of these things. So God's presence is on this mountain and when God comes into the mountain, the mountain is now holy. The mountain was not holy, but now God's in the mountain. So the, whole, the mountain's holy. And the sinful people cannot come or they will die if they touch it. But God invites Moses up onto the mountain. And this is where he's going to give Moses the Ten Commandments and, and the other 602 laws, and uh, three laws. And, and he's going to inscribe them on the tablets this is all going to happen up on this, this mountain. And God's giving them these laws and he's giving them these commands and these tablets because he wants them to be holy. He wants them to live a holy life. He wants them to, to not sin so that he can have the relationship that he wants to have with them. But I want to show you just, just one verse at the very end of what Emily read for us today. Just highlight this one verse that as God puts his presence on the mountain and it begins to shake and there's thunder and there's lightning and there's smoke and everybody's freaking out, I want you to look at what Moses says to the people, chapter 20, verse 20, just one verse. Moses said, don't be afraid. <laughs> Easy for him to say. For God has come in this way, what way? On the mountain, shaking thunder. God has come in this way to test you so that you your fear of him will keep you from sinning. Moses says, listen, God has done this so that you will fear him and your fear of him will keep you from sinning. That God wanted them to see his power and to be so in awe that they would think twice before they disobeyed the laws that he gave Moses for them. I mean, if God could do this to a mountain, what could he do to me, right? And so I'm not, I, I don't wanna disobey God. I don't wanna break his laws or his commands because what, what could he do to me? And so after seeing this powerful display, the people tell Moses what we would tell Moses too. Change of plans, Moses. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna let you go up on the mountain, okay? Tell you what, you and God, y'all just do your thing. We're gonna stay back. And then you meet with God and then you come down the mountain and you tell us what God wants us to know and then we'll tell you what we want God to know. Then you can go back and you can talk to God. But, but let's just let you and God do that. We'll just hang back here, okay? This is what the people say to God. Now, why did I tell you all of that? Because I want you to understand the way that the people in the Old Testament tried to have a relationship with God. We can see it in our story today. The old way or the Old Testament way of knowing God was to try to obey his laws because you're afraid of what he could do to you. 
And because you're afraid of him, you depend on Moses or later on in the Old Testament, the, the, the other prophets, to talk to God and then tell you what God said. This is the Old Testament way to try to have a relationship. This is how the people in the Old Testament tried to have a relationship with God. You had laws and a leader who talked to God for you and you were motivated by fear. Does that make sense to everybody? This is the way that they tried to have a relationship with God. And if they obeyed, they were blessed. And if they disobeyed, they were punished. And if we're being honest, isn't this how most people still try to have a relationship with God? They try to keep the rules they were told by someone who actually reads the Bible or talks to God. And then they try to take those rules and they do their best not to mess up because they're afraid if they mess up that God's gonna punish them or strike them with lightning, right? Maybe that's how you would describe your relationship with God today. I'm trying, Jason, I'm trying. Tell me what to do. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying. And I'm trying not to mess it up and I hope God's not mad at me and I've actually done pretty good the last couple of days so I think I'm back on his good side you know, I struggled three weeks ago, and on Thanksgiving's coming up, and I'm going to do my best. I'm trying, Jason. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Tell me again, what do I need to do? This is, the, this is the Old Testament way of trying to have a relationship with God, and it is dominated by, a, by, and by motivation of fear. I don't want to upset God, because I know what God can do. So just tell me what I need to do. I'll do my best. I'll try not to upset him. But if you've read any of the Old Testament, you know it didn't work. Time and time again, their sinful nature pulled them away. As a matter of fact, before Moses gets back down from that mountain, 40 days, they will have already taken all of their earrings and melted them down and made golden statues of animals and bowed down and said, thanks to these statues who brought us out of Egypt. They will turn their back on God and start worshiping statues before Moses even gets back down from the mountain. Now, we read it. They said, Moses, tell God, we will do everything you have commanded. Because, man, we know what you can do, and we don't, we, man, we're, we would never want to mess that up, and not even 40 days later, they are totally turning their back on God. Why would they do that? What's well, the same reason you do it? It's the same reason I do it. Because fear can change your actions, but it will never change your heart. Being motivated by fear can change your actions, but it will never change your heart. And all of us could attest to this. Listen, fear can change what you do for a while. You know, while you're on probation or while your spouse is pregnant or while you're trying to impress somebody or when you're worried you're gonna lose custody or when you find out you're gonna get cancer, your spouse says they might leave you Fear moves in, and there is a part of fear that can change what you do for a while, but never long-term, because fear doesn't change your heart. And if the main reason you try to be a Christian is that you're afraid of God punishing you, it can only end in one of two ways, and you've heard me say this over and over again, but it's so true, that, that if your motivation is fear, you will either do a decent job because you're a rule follower, and you will be prideful and judgmental and, and, and bitter and angry and jealous. Or you won't be a rule follower. You'll get really good at sinning in secret and being hypocritical. And you will feel guilt and shame and condemnation. Those are the only two scenarios. 
Never be motivated by love. Only fear. But so many of us still have an Old Testament version of religion in our lives. It's based on rules and fear. Rules and fear. Okay, I'm a Christian now, God. You brought me out. Tell Jason to tell me what I need to do, and I'll try my best not to mess it up. Rules and fear. It doesn't work. You know it doesn't work. I don't have to tell you it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. This is how we try to do it. But if that's the Old Testament way of trying to have a relationship with God, then what's the new way? What's the better way? I'm so glad you asked. Because when Jesus came, it changed everything. God didn't change. He's still committed to you. He still wants a relationship with you. But the way that you can have a relationship with God is no longer fearful compliance to the laws. It's something way better, way better. But in order to understand it, you've got to know something about this story The verses that we read today about God meeting at the mountain happened 50 days after the night of the 10th plague called the Passover. If you were not here a few weeks ago, we talked about the plagues, and that 10th plague is called the Passover because, as bizarre as it sounds, God's way of marking his people was to take the blood of a spotless lamb and to to put it on the doorframe. And so if there was blood of the spotless lamb on the doorframe, then the the angel would pass over your home. And And so that holiday to this day is called the Passover. And so the Passover happens and God brings his people out that night. And 50 days later, they are standing at Mount Sinai with Moses going up and talking to God. The Jewish people to this day celebrate this as Shabbat. It is, it is 50 days after Passover when God gave the laws to Moses or the Torah. That's what the Jewish people call it, Shabbat. But non-Jewish people like me, maybe like you, we call it something different. We call it Pentecost. 1,400 years later, after the story that we read today, there's another story. I want to read it to you. It's in Acts chapter 2, just four verses. It says, on the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, the reason it's called the day of Pentecost is not because of what's going to happen. The reason it's called the day of Pentecost is because this story that I'm about to read to you happens 50 days after the Passover. Jesus is crucified on the Passover, and 50 days later, on the day of the Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability." 1,400 years after the scripture that we read today, Christians are gathered together as the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the previous Passover where Jesus was crucified. And did you notice any similarities between what I just read to you and the story that Emily read to us? 
I hope so. Because in Exodus, God's power descended on a mountain. And when God's power descends, there's shaking and there's fire and there's wind and it's something to behold. And in Acts, God's power descended and there was shaking and there was wind and there was fire, but there was a difference. This time, instead of God descending on an object or a thing like a mountain, God's power descended on his people. Now, why does that matter? What matters a big deal? Because we have a new way to have a relationship with God that is in no way based on the fear of God's power. Now it's based on being filled with God's power. We have nothing to be afraid of. We're filled with the power and the spirit of God. And the same power that shook that mountain lives on the inside of you and on the inside of me. And this is the power of God's spirit. And so we don't try to obey God out of fear. We have nothing to fear. Instead, we live with a totally different motivation. And I know I've read a lot of scripture today and I've given you a lot of information, but I wanna just read you one more. This is in the New Testament, Romans, the apostle Paul writing after Jesus, after the day of Pentecost. And this is what he says in Romans 8, just four verses. He says, so now, now what? After Jesus, because of Jesus, so now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus And because you belong to him, talking to all the Christians, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses, what's the law of Moses? What we've been talking about, it's those 613, it's those stone tablets. Paul says the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Hebrews 8 says that he wrote his law on our minds and our hearts. This is a totally new way of having a relationship with God. And I don't mean new like we came up with it last week. I mean new since Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying that the old way didn't work because our sinful nature, the people's sinful nature kept pulling them away and pulling them away. And we know what that fear is like. It feels like. And they were trying their best not to do that. And they knew what God could do, but fear is not the motivation that will ever get to our heart. Trying to keep the law could not save us, the apostle Paul says. So God sent Jesus as a human being And he lived a sinless life and he died as a sacrifice so our sins, so that we don't have to live in fear of punishment for our mistakes 
and our failures. And after Jesus went back to heaven, God sent his spirit to fill us and give us the power to not have to give in to our sinful habits anymore. I've said it a thousand times. Let's make it a thousand and one. God sent Jesus. And so now you get credit for Jesus's life because God took the credit for your life. And if you believe that, if you, if you really grasp that, it changes everything. This is the gospel. This is what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you come to church with your parents or that you, you know, attend a growth group. Those are great things. I think you need to keep doing that. But being a Christian means that you believe what I just said to you, that the law could not save us, that trying to be good was not good enough. And so God sent Jesus as a human being, his son, and Jesus was sinless, but he died the death of a sinner so that you and I would be free from guilt, shame, and condemnation. That's what it means to be a Christian. This is how we have a relationship with God. Not by trying really hard to keep the rules, but by believing that the punishment for our sin and our failures has already been paid by Jesus Christ. And I know that's a lot of information. I've thrown a lot at you. But if you can grab a hold of this, I mean really believe it, you will live with a power stronger than any sinful power that pulls at you. And as you think about the sinful habits and actions in your life that have you stuck, how are you trying to overcome them? I mean, all of us right now could say, yeah, I know what that feels like for my sinful nature to be pulling at me. And so there's something that you can't get past. There's something you can't stop doing. There's some hurdle in your life, some sinful block that is keeping you from, from, from living the life that you wanna live. And my question for you today is, how are you trying to overcome that? By trying really hard? Are you trying to overcome that the, the Old Testament way? By laws and fear and guilt and shame? I'm trying, Jason. I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm trying. I'm trying. Listen, you don't have to do that anymore. Laws and fear will never work. And you should know that by now. Now when we come to the cliff of, of that temptation or those decisions in our life, when we come to that place, it's not about laws and fear. It's about love and power. That God sent Jesus to take my punishment. So if I fail every day for the rest of my life, I am free from his wrath, his anger, and his punishment because Jesus Christ already paid the penalty for that sin. I have nothing to fear. Instead, I can live knowing that I don't have to follow my, my tendencies and my urges because I have God's power in me and it's stronger than any sin that is trying to pull me away. Because of Jesus, I don't have to be perfect anymore. Come on, that's good news for all the pleasers, the type A's, the Enneagram ones in the room, come on, I don't have to be perfect anymore. But because of Jesus, I don't have to give in either. 
Let me say it again. Because of Jesus, I don't have to be perfect anymore, but because of Jesus, I don't have to give in either. My motivation is not fear. My motivation is love. And the way that I, that I muster the strength to overcome is not fear. It's the power of God in my life. And when I say power, I don't just mean power in the moment. I mean the power of the pull. That the power of God being led, what, what, what did Romans call it? The life-giving spirit of God. That the power of God, the spirit of God, the law that is written on my mind and my heart is pulling my life in a different direction than the power of sin is trying to pull me. Not just in the moment of decision. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, for the power to make the right decision when I'm standing at the cliff and I have to make the decision. But the power of God is also the pull of my life in a certain direction. Something stronger is pulling me towards being a different person that God wants me to be. And so I, I just thought of a couple of examples. I know, you know, anytime the preacher gives examples, they all feel cliche, but I guess they're cliche for a reason. But I thought about, maybe you're here today and you would say, man, I can't stop losing my temper. I can't, I'm such an angry person and I can't stop yelling at my kids, or I can't stop getting angry with people who do me wrong, or I, 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 it could be road rage, it could be my boss, it could be anger at myself, just always angry. Based on what we have read today, you, you've got two ways to try to stop being so angry. The first way is to know that the Bible says, don't sin in your anger. So there's the rule, there's the law. And that God really hates it when you do that. So do better. We all know what that feels like. Sometimes it works. Depends on how convincing and mean the preacher is. I need to, do more, I need to be better about that, I guess. Be a little more mean, but... It doesn't work. What if instead... You wake up tomorrow and you know that your tendency is to, is to lose your temper and, and, and to... And to, and to let anger overwhelm you. What if tomorrow when you woke up, you knew that Jesus had already paid the penalty for every outburst you would make today? It's already been paid. You know what would begin to happen? And you don't believe me. You just have to test it and see. But if you woke up tomorrow and you realized that the love of God and the act of God sending Jesus had already paid the penalty for your anger, you would wake up in a few days or a few weeks or probably a few months and you would realize I'm less angry than I used to be. And someone would say, how did you do that? And you would say, I don't really know. And it's not that I don't care anymore. It's just that I'm a more gracious person. You know what happened? You started believing in grace. Jesus had already paid the penalty for every outburst you would make and every time you would lose it. Or what about sex? You say, Jason, I, 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 don't, I, I keep giving in. I keep showing back up at their house. I keep looking at pornography. I, I, keep, I keep whatever it is, all of the trappings that are out there and the access that's out there, the relationships that are out there, I can't give it up. I can't seem to stop. And listen, I know what the Bible says because that's the old way. I know what it says, Jason. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And God definitely doesn't want me to do it. And everybody tells me don't do it and I'm trying not to do it. And I know he's mad at me and I'm trying, Jason, I'm trying. 
That's the old way. It don't work. It just makes you feel guilty and terrible when you're putting your clothes back on. But what if instead, knowing the places that would be traps for you this week, you said to yourself, you know what? Jesus Christ has already paid the penalty for every lustful thought and every sexual act that I could possibly commit. I'm free from the guilt and the shame and the penalty of this sin that keeps me trapped. You know what began to happen? Maybe this week, maybe in a couple of weeks, maybe in a couple months. You would look back on your actions and you would go, man, I, I, I haven't looked at that as much. I haven't texted with them as much. I haven't shown up over there as much. I haven't been going to the places I normally go to find the people that I can hook up with. I, ha- I haven't been doing those things. And people would say, well, how did you do that? And you would say, I don't really know. And it's not that I don't want to be loved anymore. It's not that I don't want companionship anymore. It's not that I don't want to feel beautiful anymore. It's not that I don't want to feel pleasure anymore. It's just that it's like something is pulling me, and I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that that's the way to find it anymore. And so now something's different. My life is changing. What about the addictions and the substances in our lives that, that we cannot seem to get past? You know, we're, we're with our friends or sometimes we're with our parents and, you know, they're, they're, they're smoking joints and now we're smoking joints and we can't stop or it's, it leads to heavier things or maybe we just already started at heavier things or maybe it's alcohol or, or, or maybe it's actions that like they got, the dopamine got in the brain, they're released in the brain and now we're hooked and we try 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 and we can't stop and we know what the Bible says, Jason, and we, and we know what it says and we, we feel bad that we keep doing it and we're trying not to upset him because we know God's disappointed but we're trying, we're trying, we're trying, that's the old way. It's the old way. That don't work. If it worked, you'd be done. But what if instead when you, when, you, when you got home today or you woke up in the morning and you knew all of the tendencies and the urges and the potholes that were gonna meet you this week and all the things you were trying to stop, what if instead of trying to clench your fist really tight and say, God, I promise I'm not gonna screw it up this time, what if instead you said, you know, I know that Jesus has already paid the penalty for every stupid decision that I could make this week? every weakness that I could give into, Jesus has already paid the penalty for that. Not because he ever did it, but because he knew I would, and he came, and he paid the penalty for that. You know what would begin to happen in a couple of days or weeks or months? As you begin to look back, you would realize, for some people, you stopped. Other people, you're doing it less and less. And somebody would say, well, how, how'd you do that? And you say, well, I don't really know. I mean, I know there were times I made better decisions than I did in the past. And yeah, there were times I said no when I used to say yes. I mean, I can see some of that. But I mean, it's not that I don't want to feel good anymore. I do. It's not that I don't want the pleasure. It's not that I don't want the escape. I mean, I do. But it just seems like that's not the way to find it anymore. See, what you're experiencing is the power of the pull of God on your life. Because you are motivated by love and not fear. 
and you realize that you are filled with the power of God. I'll end with this. I, I, um, I know that what I'm describing to you goes against the very nature of how most of us were raised religiously, you know, and we desperately want it to be true, true, don't we? Isn't there a part of what I just described to you? It's like, it's like I mean, that's awesome if that works, but it sounds a little too good to be true. true. It's true. true. It's life following Jesus based on love and power, not laws and freedom. It's realizing that you are free and you are filled with the power of God. And I, and I think this Lewis, Lewis described it perfectly. He said, this relationship with God, God that we have, have he said, it's, it's, it's more like painting a, a portrait than like obeying a set of rules. And the odd thing is that while in one way it's much harder than keeping the rules, in another way, it's far easier. And isn't that true? That in some ways what I'm describing feels harder, but it's actually far easier. Lewis said, the real son of God is at your side. He's beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought, his zoe, into you. And the the reality is, is that most of us would probably prefer a life with just the rules, the rules and the fear. Just tell me what to do, Jason. Just tell me what to do. Hey, on the way out today, we've got five things you don't need to do this week. Here you go. In a way, that feels easier. And trying to follow God out of love feels harder, but it's not. It's easier. It takes some time. It's a dance with grace. But every day you wake up and you say, Jesus has paid the penalty for me. Jesus, I'm free. I don't have to be afraid. And every time you believe that and you wrap your arms around that, Jesus is injecting his life into you. The power of God is injecting his power into you, the spirit of God into you. You're becoming a different kind of person and the power of God is pulling you in a different direction. And so I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna have the opportunity to take communion and as, uh, as you do that, as you take that bread and you dip it in the juice, what a moment, what a moment to be able to stop and just thank God. God, thank you that you sent Jesus to pay the penalty for my sins and I don't have to be afraid of you or live in fear of what you might do to me because I can't seem to get it together. Thank you for Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray that today we would fully embrace this life of love and power and exchange it from a life of law and fear. God, thank you for Jesus. The rule-keeping couldn't save us, so you sent your son. And he came, and he showed us that. He showed us what it looked like to live a sinless life. He showed us what it looked like to, to walk in step with you, and he died the death that I deserved so that I could have the life that he deserved. And so, God, I pray for every person, every Christian listening to my voice right now who's overcome by the burden of fear and shame and guilt and condemnation. They, they know their history. They know their track record. They know they can't seem to get it together. And they live in this, this place of, 
of, of disappointment. God, I pray that today we would leave knowing we're free. We are free. And God, I pray for every person who grew up legalistic and grew up religious that we just can't seem to embrace that. It's like free, you know, but free with clauses. God, no, help us to leave today knowing we are free. We are free. And God, not only are we free, but we are filled with your power and your spirit that is stronger than the power and the pull of sin on our lives. We don't have to be the person we are. We can be the person you've created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.